is trustworthy. For I ha if you have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray together. Father, we commit ourselves to you this morning, especially as we come to the pinnacle moment of the service. Lord, it's not because I am teaching, but it's the pinnacle point because we focus upon your word. This is your revelation to us. This is where you make your will and the knowledge of yourself known to us. It's through the Word of God through which the Holy Spirit leads us, guides us, convicts us, and leads us to all truth. Thank you that we have this privilege and the opportunity. I pray that as we lifted up the name of Jesus in our singing, as we lifted up the name of Jesus in our prayer, that through the teaching of this time, through the public reading of your scripture, that we would continue to lift up the name of Jesus. We pray for our sister Mary Leonard, whose mother fell. Lord, as she seems to have broken her back and her hip and in her hand, Lord, she needs your presence right now. That you would be with her. You would comfort her. That she would experience, and we pray that she would experience uh, your healing touch, Father. Pray that you would just give the doctors wisdom on how to go about restoring her, Father. We entrust her into you, into your hands. Be with Miss Mary as she cares for her mom when she has the opportunity. We commit this day to you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, how many of you would... Or how many of you live what you would consider to be a life of quietness and peacefulness? That's all right. Any of you? Some of you, right? Just a peaceful, quiet life. Now, how many of you live a life that could be, find, be defined as chaotic at best? Anybody? About that many more. Well, that means the rest of you are somewhere in between that continuum <laughs> there. And, and I want to say something. For those of you that's learned the secret of the peaceful and the quiet life, I want to say to you congratulations. Because uh, that is something oftentimes that's hard to, uh, to experience, especially in the world that we live in. And the, and the Bible does call us to a quiet and peaceful life, you know, from a biblical perspective. But for many of us, that's not necessarily our experience. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that those of us in Christ don't biblically live a quiet and a peaceful life, biblically speaking. But what I am saying is that we do live, if you would, in a world that is fast-paced, ever-going, always interrupting, always something else to do, and we often get caught up into that, and by the time we get to the end of our day, we look back and think, good Lord, have we accomplished anything? 
because of all the distractions that go on in, in the type of world that we live in. Even for those of us that live or do not live a, a quiet and peaceful life, I want us to understand that there is a solution for us. Not that we go buy a house up on a mountain somewhere in the middle of Colorado, pull ourselves apart from society. I'm not talking about that type of solution. But this morning, as we further consider what it means to live a life of bold endurance, continuing this theme through 2 Timothy May we consider what it means to have a bold endurance, even living within a chaotic world. Paul has already given us some insight that we've studied thus far of what it would take to endure a life of suffering for the gospel's sake. Last week we looked at, Paul gave us, if you would, three metaphorical figures, a soldier, an athlete, and a hard-working farmer. And what we simply tried to do is deduce from those metaphorical figures the things that were important uh, to uh, the one who was looking to endure hardship. When we looked at the soldier, the one thing that we did deduce from that text is, is that we can, we can figure out how to live a, a life of endurance by not being distracted by things that ultimately do not matter. The text tells us there that, that a soldier does not get entangled in civilian pursuits, but his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So we're not should not be easily distracted by the things of this world. We also can learn to live a bold endurance by having a a sense of single-minded devotion to God. Remember, we live to please the one who enlisted us, the one who called us. And and God calls us to this single-minded type of devotion. That's important when you live in a chaotic world. When you live in a world that's constantly trying to distract you for the child of God, it's important that we keep our eyes on the prize, so to speak. Not only that, when we looked, um, if you would, at the, at the second, the athlete, one of the things we deduce from that text is that God calls us to be disciplined and to ultimately live by his rules. In a time of difficulty, chaos, in a time of suffering, it's important for us to live a life of discipline in order to be able to say no to the world, to say no to the distractions and the things that would ultimately pull us away. And the discipline that the athlete would have toward uh, uh, obtaining the crown, winning the prize, winning the gold medal, all that it would take to do that, we should work and be disciplined in our own lives in order to obtain ultimately what God wants us to do. And we do play within his framework. To put it in the simplest way that I know how, in other words, you and I must live by the book. We don't live willy-nilly, an uber 
super spiritual life where we think we live in such a way that would be pleasing to God. But if we're ever to please God, we must be people of the book and obey his word. And the last thing, when we looked at the hardworking farmer, uh, if we want to endure, we obviously must be hardworking and knowing that there is reward to all who do so. Part of endurance is knowing, hey, you know what? If we do what God calls us to do, we live by his book, we have a single-minded devotion to him, guess what's we're going to happen in the end? We will be rewarded for that. We will be rewarded. And that's how we endure. But today, Paul, if you would, would tie all of this up under the banter, the banner, excuse me, if you would have. It is what or why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? In other words, when we consider all the things given in those metaphorical figures, what is, what is the real driving reason? What is, why is it, what is it that motivates us or grounds us into being disciplined in a chaotic world, working hard in a chaotic world, keeping focused on Christ in a chaotic world? What is it, why is it that we do what we do? Well, Paul gives Timothy the reason for a bold endurance. And the answer, I think you're going to find, will be quite simple. It's a simple answer. But the simple answer doesn't always mean the easy answer. When you look at the context of this passage, when you look at the, the concepts of faithfulness and devotion and not being distracted and all the things that God ultimately calls us to do, we, we must remember that this is never an easy task. And what, uh, what makes it difficult is, is not the solution itself, but what makes it simple or, or is uh, difficult, excuse me, what makes it difficult is not the solution, but the context in which it is all to be understood. When we talk about the gospel and the centrality of Christ in our life, it's easy to look in that, well, geez, that's simple. Keep focused on Jesus. But when you take that simple solution and you place it in the context of a chaotic world, then the waters, if you would, get muddy for us, especially as a people that are sinful, that have sinful tendencies. Paul calls Timothy to suffer with him. And now Paul wants Timothy to understand the reason why he should do so. Paul's reason, if you would, in the end, and here's some key words for you to write down. Paul's reason will keep Timothy grounded. Grounded, rooted, anchored, if you would, in the context of a chaotic world. This is what we need as children of God. We need to be grounded, we need to be rooted, and we need to be anchored in the world in which we live in. In other words, when the winds assail upon us and we are, are no longer children being tossed to and fro, that we're rooted, grounded, and anchored in something that is firm, something that is true, something that is good, and that's our only hope in the day in which we find ourselves. I hope that when we look at the solution today, 
that you'll be able to walk away with this idea of that I, that I or we collectively can be grounded, rooted, rooted, and anchored in the chaotic world in which we live. Last couple of weeks, last yeah, last couple of weeks, we've looked at various instructions where Paul told Timothy. If you want to endure, you must be strong, and you must entrust to faithful men. You must share in the suffering. And he encouraged Timothy, lastly, to think over everything that he said. But this morning, I want us to move on to point number two, the reason for bold endurance that we'll see in verses 8 through 13. I want you to notice something, and you've probably already noticed. It seems like when we get to verse 8 and moving forward that the language is kind of choppy. If you would, notice what verse says. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. When you slip down, you, you see it again, uh, maybe in verse, uh, verse 12. If, uh, verse, yeah, verse 11 and following. If we've died with him, we will live with him. If we endure with him, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will die, deny us. More than likely, this is the language is uh, really creedal. These were probably short stanzas, maybe even of a hymn or something that the church used probably in their worship services to declare certain truths to be learned by all the people. When Paul, in this second part, if you would, gives us the reason for a bold endurance, I want us to see that in verses 8 through 10, it's really focused upon the gospel. Remember the gospel. And there's three things that I would like to say about the gospel. First thing, being in verse 8, we're going to see the gospel defined. Secondly, we will look and, and see that the gospel be, is identified as the reason of, as Paul, of Paul's suffering. And thirdly, we want to see the gospel applied. Now, I don't have those up on the screen, but just bear with me as we move through these. The gospel defined. Notice, if you would, when I say gospel, the gospel defined, that Paul doesn't give us a lexical definition. It's not like we're going to go to, uh, you know, the dictionary of the Apostle Paul and he's going to give us this word-for-word -word definition of what the gospel is. But through all of Paul's writings, and especially as we have seen in the pastoral epistle, Paul lays out to Timothy simple definitions in various ways to allow him to keep the gospel in focus, especially in his, in his ministry. This, this gospel being defined in verse 8 are simply reminders to Timothy of, of what we are to do and, and what we are really ultimately to understand. Reminders not only for Timothy himself, but they were to be reminders, if you would, for the people who worshipped at Ephesus. Notice, if you would, in verse 8. Paul says these words, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Now it's interesting that Paul would use the words, remember Jesus Christ. Do you think that Paul used, or used this phrase, remember Jesus Christ, because he thought Timothy might forget? One sense, yes, but another sense, no. 
And the idea here, when Paul says, remember Christ, being in the present tense, the idea is that young Timothy should continually remember Jesus in all aspects of his ministry. You see, there's always the real possibility for church leaders to be so busy in the day-to-day life of ministering to people that they lose their moorings, if you would, or their focus uh, on what is most important in in, in the life of the ministry of of a young pastor. When Paul tells Timothy, remember Christ, it's not that that he thought that Timothy would just forget Christ, but that Timothy might temporarily or momentarily, if you would, lose focus on what was ultimately the main goal of young Timothy's ministry. You see, Timothy, if you would, was to have a single-minded focus, context, the soldier. To have a single-minded focus of Christ at the center of all things. Related to that, maybe a loyalty to Christ and all that he is and all that he does. And this was not so much an instruction to Timothy, but simply a reminder to Timothy to be encouraged and that he serves the one who has the victory ultimately over death. Now here we see in this passage, when he speaks of this gospel, at least in this short definition, it really is a a two-pronged definition. Remember Jesus Christ, first prong, risen from the dead, second prong, the offspring of David. Just two simple elements in Paul's explanation of the gospel here. And I want us to focus, if you would, on the first. That Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. This ultimately depicts divine vindication of Jesus' earthly life, ultimately in his resurrection. Oftentimes we think of the death of Christ and the resurrection. Uh, We see it as only a past event that pertains to our present salvation. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, went to the cross and that he died, and he died that I could right now be saved. And that's, that's oftentimes, that's the way we think about it. But the reality is, 2,000 years ago was the pinnacle point of what God had been planning since eternity past. God had made a way for his people to be saved from the beginning of creation, ultimately accomplishing the cross. So everybody before the cross was looking to the cross in the hope that they would be saved, that God would send a redeemer as he promised, and they would look to the cross in the hope of salvation, and everyone since looks back. And so here we are in 2024, and guess what we're doing? We're looking back. We're looking back to the cross. And there's nothing wrong with looking back to the cross. But we're going to see in the context of this passage, when when he speaks about the gospel, he's not just, Paul's not looking back to the cross. He's looking also all the way into the time of consummation. That when we oftentimes think about salvation, we think about right here, right now, the forgiveness of my sins. And it's true, that's what we do talk about when we talk about salvation. But salvation is so much bigger than the forgiveness of my or your sin. That's one aspect of it. 
There's something greater going on in the gospel than the forgiveness of my sin. It's really more focused on his glory. I mean, have you ever considered the cross is not really about you, but it's about him? It's easy to lose focus on what's important in that. And in the gospel message, not only did Christ 2,000 years ago go to the cross as a substitute to pay our sin debt, to provide an atonement, a type of atonement that would appease the, the, the anger and the wrath of God, but he went and he died in our place that we wouldn't receive the wrath of God. He turned it away lovingly and graciously. He accomplished our salvation, ultimately vindicated by the fact that his father resurrected him from the dead three days later. You know what? And you know what that's really saying? God is really saying, you know what? Of all the dead animals that have been sacrificed through the years, you know, they were never, ever, ever sufficient to take away your sin for eternity. They were simply temporary coverings. Temporary coverings just year after year after year after year and then all of a sudden the promised messiah comes upon the scene and that promised messiah gives his life that is why john the baptist says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world john the baptist understood the whole purpose of who jesus was okay and jesus lives a life and he preached and he taught he explained the purpose of his coming he explained his identity that he was the son of god that he was the messiah and he explained all these things and he even foretold his own death to his disciples walks into Jerusalem. The Jews couldn't stand him. The leadership, the Pharisees and the Sadducees couldn't stand him. They couldn't bear the fact that, that, that Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Messiah and ultimately they put him to death under the hands of Pontius Pilate. They took him to the cross. He died my death, your death, our death on that cross. And three days later, you know what God did? I started a long time ago trying to explain this. I got sidetracked. But he accepted Jesus' sacrifice. And the proof that he accepted Jesus' sacrifice is that he resurrected him from the dead. For us. It was a vindication not only to those living, present disciples in the time of the death of Jesus Christ, but to us today. We look back and say, his death and resurrection vindicated us, vindicated himself and ultimately our belief in the gospel. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. This passage tends to help us and Timothy think of the gospel in its overarching totality from the death, burial, and resurrection all the way to the consummation of this age. And we're even going to talk a little bit more about that later. But for Timothy, and it's even important for us now to understand that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is at the heart of all that we do. 
This is why Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 3 and verse 10, but that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that, that, may, that we may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. The same words that Paul's been using to those that he's writing to Timothy, talking about suffering, talking about the potential of, of, of becoming like Paul. Paul in this moment was in chains in a prison in Rome, and he knew that his death was imminent. The death would be his end. So when he writes to other people and he tells them, there's something about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that so overcomes and changes me as a person and who I am that when I get down going through the, ro- the, 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 the walk of life, that even if I must suffer, if I, even if I must be imprisoned, even if I must be put to death, I will be content with that. This is the heart of the gospel message. It's not just that Jesus saves, it's that Jesus transforms. Jesus calls us to something. He doesn't just call us away from our sin, but he transforms us and calls us to embrace and live out and preach the gospel. Second prong of this gospel message, if you would, he says, not only do we preach Christ Jesus risen from the dead, but Paul looks back, if you would, in one sense, and he talks about him being the offspring of David. This was simply telling us that Jesus' death and resurrection is a fulfillment of prophecy. You see, 2 Samuel chapter 7 teaches us that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. And Paul doesn't just talk about it in this passage, but go, if you would, if you want to, turn to Romans chapter 1. If not, I'll read it to you. Romans chapter 1, and I want to read verses 1 through 4. This gives us insight. This undergirds Paul's gospel explanation in 2 Timothy. With fuller details, Paul says this in verse 1. Paul, a servant, talking about himself as he's letting the readers at Rome know who wrote the letter. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Notice this, set apart for the gospel. In other words, God, if you would, took him out, set him apart for a certain purpose, gospel ministry. Specifically gospel to the Gentiles, if you would. Verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning the Son, notice this, who was a descendant from David. You see this gospel message? It's Paul's message here, same thing. It's not just Christ risen from the dead, but it's Christ from the lineage of David. A descendant of David, according to the flesh. Now notice this, and was declared to be the Son of God. See, when we talked about earlier the vindication of Christ in his resurrection, we see it again here. When Christ was resurrected from the dead, and even in his earthly life, because he was from the lineage of David, he was declared to be the Son of God, hence the main themes of the Gospel of John. Because the Gospel of John tells us quite clearly, I have written these things to you that you may believe that he is, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ. 
He was declared to be the Son of God, in power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This was his vindication. You see, all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, confirmed this. Paul confirms this all throughout his writings. And since the bulk of the Gospels serve to teach about the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of, of Jesus, Paul reminds Timothy that Jesus' life and death are tethered to God's promises of many, many years ago. The promise that he would, through the line of David, send the promised re Redeemer, the Messiah, the Messiah that would take away the sin of the world. You see, the gospel is based on God's promise to send a Redeemer from the lineage of David who would ultimately save his people from their sin. To remember, if you would, Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is an essential part of faithful ministry. Faithful gospel ministry. It's just a reminder to us. Not only on the individual level, but on a corporate level, level of, of, of a local church. That we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. We've talked about growth. We've talked about experiencing growth. We've talked about, you know, wanting to have the proper infrastructure for growth. But let me tell you something. If we get caught up in all of that mess and we forget the gospel, then we've missed the point. If it's not about gospel ministry, if it's not about gospel transformation, if it's not, if the gospel does not transform who you are, and when I say transformed, sometimes I think we have in mind is that I was this pagan sinner running my own direction and God saved me and he transformed me in the rest of my life. I go, would Jesus transform me 30 years ago? I'm looking back, Jesus transformed me. And we don't even think about the fact that the gospel is still in the process of transforming us. If we live 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years on down the road, you know, 50 years from the time of the, the point of your salvation, guess what Jesus should still be doing in your life, transforming who you are, molding you and making you into the image of his son. This is, I, I'm telling you, you want to know one of the things that kind of wet my chops, gets me excited, to, to make me want to keep going on? I hope that wasn't improper. I couldn't find the right words there. But that, that makes me want to keep on keeping on. The thing that does it is for me to just look back and say, you know what? Why would I ever want to stop doing what I'm doing knowing that every day God is making me into the image of his son? That I don't look back to when I came to know Christ as a teenager. And go, he did it all back then. Back there, that was, that's all that he did, and I'm thankful for it. No, he gives me the constant reminder that every day God is continually transforming who I am into the image of his son. That's the good news of the gospel. The gospel is based on God's promise to send a redeemer from the lineage of David. 
And to remember Christ is to encapsulate not only what Christ accomplished on the cross, but ultimately what God had been promising all through human history. Say this, take this verse in context, I'll read it again. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in Paul's gospel. This is important for us, because it was important for Timothy. To talk about the gospel, to keep the gospel at the forefront, to keep the gospel at the center, lest we forget Paul's words, Timothy, remember. Cornerstone Community Church, remember. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, from the offspring of David. Today, individuals, if you would, have lost this type of memory. The church has lost this type of mooring, if you would, to the most important event and message in world history. We need a single-minded focus on keeping the main thing the main thing. That is Jesus risen from the dead, the offspring of David. And this is why Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy, Timothy, guard the good deposit. Protect it, because this is the difference between the life and the death of your church. If you guard it, if you guard it, if you would, in the sense of its purity, that you don't try to add things to it or take away. When we talk about the death and resurrection of Christ, when, when we, we talk about it in that sense, when we guard the thing that was entrusted, that's been passed down, if you would, from generation to generation, and really not, this is important, because when we get in verses 14 and following, Paul is going to get back on the, on the subject of dealing with false teachers and, 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 and how that ultimately becomes a distraction for the church. Listen, I'm, I'm proud of the heritage that we have at this church, that the gospel has always been at the forefront, at the center. But listen to me, it's imperative for us not to forget our roots. And when I say the roots, the roots of the beginning of this church, no, I'm talking about the roots of the apostolic gospel. As this gospel has been passed down from generation to generation, it's imperative upon us to guard it, to protect it, and to, if you would, look at me, release it. Listen, just bear with me. If the gospel wore a ball and you take that ball and you keep it in your shirt pocket and you walk around going, I got this thing guarded. Nobody, I got it so guarded, nobody else is going to see it or hear about it or even want to see it. They're not even going to be concerned. They're just going to look at me like I'm a freak walking around with a hamster in my pocket. But when we talk about guarding the gospel, it's the integrity of the message. And when we guard the integrity of the message and we understand what the gospel is, you know what we want to do? We want to go, see what I got here? That was just for learning purposes only. We want, to, we want to talk to people about it. We want to tell them what has happened to us. This, 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 not only this message, but this event that so transformed our lives. And the scripture teaches us that our sins were forgiven, but, you know, 
And because of that, I've been, we've been brought out from under the bondage of sin. And you know what Jesus does? Because we're no longer under the bondage of sin, he just keeps like working the piece of clay, molding us and making us into ultimately what he wants us. That was one verse. Here's what we're going to do. (laughs) Man, I I really had much better intentions today. (laughs) Let's close with some ideas. Circling back to our introduction, and let's just go and think about some things for a minute. One of the great dangers of living in a chaotic culture is simply distraction. One, often many, if not most people in our culture, live a distracted life. That's just the reality of it. But I want to say this. The distraction is one of Satan's most helpful tools in disrupting spiritual growth and maturity. Let me ask you a question. Are there any of us that are not distracted? Even those of you who raised your hand and says, I live a quiet and peaceful life. You may. And I know you do. I don't mean anything by that. I live a chaotic, peaceful life that is quiet and peaceful, if that makes sense. Okay? But these are distractions, and Satan uses distractions and as one of his most important tools of interrupting what God really wants to do in us and with us. When we think about the context of these figures that he gave us, of the soldier, of the hardworking farmer, and the athlete, where the idea of distraction, there is no distraction. There can't be a distraction in the life of a soldier, a focused athlete, a farmer who has only a short season to prepare the crop. There has to be single-minded devotion to all that they do. And it's no different for us. That's what Paul is saying. People are usually distracted. And when they're distracted, they're not focused. Distracted people can't be focused. They're chasing rabbits. We're chasing rabbits. And people who are not focused tend to serve more than one master. We know what the Bible says about that. You can't serve two masters. And those who serve many loyalties oftentimes are, are, are ease, more easily overcome by their circumstances. How many of you over the past five years has felt overcome by what was going on around you? Right, let me, let me, I'm the biggest one here. And I say that because we've, we face so much change. COVID was a game changer. 
for us as a nation. This was the conduit for some people to get the things that they wanted. And that's really changed who we are as a society. The whole thing going on with our educational system, the things going on in our political systems, all of that really come down the pipeline, if you would, over the last five years. And you know what? The whole time we were what? Distracted. Then we turned around and we like, where did this world come from? How did we get here? It got here because we were distracted. It got here because not because someone else snuck it in the back door. It got here because decade after decade after decade after decade, the church has been distracted. About things that ultimately don't matter in the life of a society. The church has been distracted in the, in the importance of getting the gospel out. The church has been distracted in, 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 in if you would, uh, of, of, of spiritual growth, maturity, and discipleship of its people. You know, for many generations, you know what we focused on as a church? Now, I'm talking about broadly as an evangelical church. We focused on growth in numbers and building big buildings. That was our focus. That was what was important to us. Rather than are we taking the gospel to the lost. Rather than the gospel that we believe that paid for our sin, transforms us and grows us spiritually and brings us to the point of maturity. I say the point of maturity. Maturity is one of those crazy things where you can be mature in Christ, but you're not yet finished. Okay? You can be mature in Christ, and if you live 50 more years, guess what you're going to do? You're going to continue to grow and mature. That's a never-ending process. And we get distracted from the things that are important. And that's, that's how we got where we are if you would. Here's the point. We as a church, as the church of Christ, must endure suffering in this age. If we're to endure, we must keep our eyes on Jesus and the gospel, period. Listen, if you want, if you're, if you're relatively new here, and you're coming and going, we're going to see what this church is about. If you're looking for something other than the gospel, don't take this the rude kind of way. You may want to look somewhere else. And, and, I, and I say that with respect. Every Sunday, in some form or fashion, we're going to talk about it. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to bid you to come and embrace it and believe it. And for those of you that's already come and embraced it and believe it, you know what we're going to do? We're going to remind you, if you would, that gospel that you believed in, that should be transforming who you are. 
And I'm, I'm going to keep calling you. We're going to keep calling you back to the gospel. We're going to keep calling you to keep the main thing, the main thing. And I believe that when the gospel transforms who we are and we become more and more like Jesus, then we more and more want to take this message and share it with the people around us. When we begin to be so convinced by the message, by the transformation, then that will make its impact on our neighborhoods, in our town, in our society. And, and listen to me, and I'm not saying that every morning is a gospel message and only a gospel message, because we're going to preach the whole counsel of God here. But there's no way that you preach the whole counsel of God and not relate it back to the central event in human history. And by the way, have you ever noticed what year we live in? 2024? That's 2024 years from what? Jesus. <laughs> the whole world, maybe not the whole world, but the majority of the world keeps time by that one event. Whether they want to or not. And I say that with absolute respect because it is the gospel that must be our, our supreme focus. Going back to this important point. If we're to endure, we keep our eyes on Jesus. And endurance in a chaotic world system that abhors the gospel is one of the most important areas that we need to keep our focus on. Enduring the onslaught of spiritual attacks, spiritual oppression, spiritual slumber, I tell you, it's no easy task. And here's my hope. This is my hope, my hope, my hope, my hope, my prayer. That all of you keep your eyes on the gospel. That you eat, breathe, drink, the gospel, that you preach the gospel to yourself daily, for the gospel is your only hope, and it's the only hope for the world that we live in, for the gospel does not only bring us future hope, but it brings present real-time strength for endurance in a chaotic world. Now, I'm going to give you an intern. My hope for you is for you to eat, breathe, drink the gospel, preach the gospel to yourself daily. Here's my other hope, is that every Sunday, when you come in and we gather together as the body of Christ here at Cornerstone Community Church, that you would be renewed, that you would be refreshed, that you would be encouraged, exhorted, replenished, restocked, and sent back out into the field of battle to live and fight another day. If you would, Sunday should always be a gospel reminder. Sunday should be gospel recharge day. Sunday should be gospel refuel day. Sunday should be the day that we always hear this message. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. You see, there's a reason why Paul says 
be strong or be strengthened by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is because Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross for us, that is the true source of all of our strength. Let's pray together. Father, you are truly good. And we know that we, you are ultimately truly good simply because of your own character. I think back about the passage that we read this morning. If we are faithless, God, you remain faithful. For you cannot deny yourself. Father, we take great pleasure in knowing that you are a God of good character, that you're good and gracious to us, that you've made a way for us. Help us to realize that. And may the gospel that we preach not only transform sinners, but may it transform our lives. And may it so transform our lives that it transforms our families. And may the gospel so transform our families that it transforms our neighborhoods and our communities. God, may the gospel transform the whole of our society. That's our prayer to you this morning. May we be faithful to remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Amen. His word 
Just as a reminder, we have check out all any announcements that we have, and and our bulletin. We have a lot of stuff there. Don't forget, next week will be the church buffet. Please sign up for that, so we'll know how many people uh, that plan on coming. So we'll have people to feed. Um, trying to think if there's anything else. Remember, we do have prayer after the service. If you'd like prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Now for the time of the benediction. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Entrust to faithful people what you have learned. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Remember the gospel. Jesus Christ remembered from the dead. And let's endure everything for the sake of the elect. We pray this in Jesus' name. Go in peace.